It's Saturday, September the 5th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist, sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, more stock market jitters, and Russia's vaccine shows promise. First, the week in brief. America's stock market slid for a second successive day as investors continued their retreat from technology shares. The S&P 500 index fell by 3% and the tech-heavy Nasdaq fell by 5% before both made up ground later in the day. Reports said that the recent surge in tech stocks had been fueled by the enthusiastic purchase of options by SoftBank, a Japanese tech firm and investor. Shares dropped despite a fall of almost two percentage points in America's unemployment rate in August. Payroll growth, though, is slowing. Employers added 1.4 million jobs last month, compared with 1.7 the month before. Deaths in America from COVID-19 will reach 410,000 by January 1st, reckons the University of Washington's Health Institute, a near doubling of the current toll. The Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation said deaths in December could rise to 3,000 a day, higher than the peak in April. It said that deaths would be reduced if more people wore masks, but that mask wearing in America was declining. Russia's COVID-19 vaccine produced antibodies in all 76 participants in a trial conducted in June and July, The Lancet, a medical journal, reported. Russia claims vindication. It has already licensed the vaccine. But the study is too small and preliminary to prove that the vaccine is safe or will protect large populations from the disease. A bigger study is underway. The Wall Street Journal reported that the biggest pharmaceutical firms are drafting a pledge not to bypass standards when testing their competing vaccines. GlaxoSmithKline, Johnson & Johnson, Moderna and others are in effect offering assurance that they will not be pressed into accommodating President Donald Trump's re-election campaign. Most reckon vaccines can be released by the end of 2020, if not by November 3rd. Virgin Atlantic, which last month agreed a rescue package with creditors worth £1.2 billion, or $1.6 billion, will cut 1,150 more jobs. The British airline blamed a slow recovery in the demand for flights. It has already shed more than 3,500 of the 10,000 employees it had at the start of the year. Prosecutors in Malaysia dropped charges against three Goldman Sachs units as part of a 3.9 billion US dollar settlement over the American bank's involvement in the 1MDB scandal. Goldman was accused of misleading investors over bond sales it organised for the Sovereign Wealth Fund, much of which was misappropriated. Bloomberg reported that Malaysia will also drop charges against 17 current and former Goldman directors. Andrew Holness will continue as Jamaica's Prime Minister. His Jamaica Labour Party claimed a convincing victory in Thursday's early general election. Jamaica has suffered badly amid a sharply rising COVID-19 caseload and a drop in international tourism, a big money earner. Turnout was just 37% in an election marked by heavy use of anti-coronavirus measures. And correction. Our story yesterday on Serbia-Kosovo talks was illustrated with a picture including Hashim Thaci, Kosovo's president who was not present. Sorry. And now, here's today's agenda. Venezia 77, the return of the film festival. 
The 77th annual Mostra Internazionale de Arte Cinematografica, which began this week, is smaller in scale than in previous years, but greater in significance. Venice's is the first major film festival to get the green light since March, even Cannes was canned, so it delivers a message of concrete optimism for the entire world of cinema, according to its artistic director, Alberto Barbera. In most years, Oscar hopefuls such as La La Land and Spotlight had their premiere in Venice. This year, lockdown restrictions prevent La La Land's A-listers from jetting in to promote their masterpieces, and the less glamorous films being shown in their place are unlikely to make it to a cinema near you. Still, the president of the competition jury, Kate Blanchett, has called it a wondrous miracle that the festival is happening at all. Ignore the hand sanitizer and the temperature checks, and you can believe that the film industry's Hollywood-style happy ending is on its way. Mind games. I'm thinking of ending things. There is just something profoundly wrong here. With this line, the protagonist of Charlie Kaufman's new film, I'm Thinking of Ending Things, could be channeling the viewer. Released yesterday on Netflix, the film follows an unnamed young woman, Jessie Buckley, as she meets her boyfriend's parents for the first time in rural Oklahoma. As so often with Mr. Kaufman, nothing is what it seems. Characters age decades in a few hours, the family's wet dog won't stop shaking himself off, and memories warp. Perhaps most disconcertingly, Conversations are intercut with characters' thoughts, making it unclear what is being said out loud. Familiar themes from Mr. Kaufman's previous films crop up. Being trapped inside one's own head, being John Malkovich, the power of memory, eternal sunshine of the spotless mind, and the blurring of fact and fiction, synecdoche New York. But early reviews suggest that this latest dissection of the human condition is his masterpiece. Bach's Enigma the Goldberg Variations. Steve Jobs, Apple's co-creator, loved them. So, on page and screen, does Hannibal Lecter, the erudite cannibal in the novels of Thomas Harris. Scores of great musicians have interpreted this most haunting and elusive work in the canon of keyboard music. Now, Lang Lang, a star Chinese pianist, has recorded his version of Johann Sebastian Bach's endlessly intriguing Goldberg Variations. Not once, but twice. Mr. Lang's twin performances for the Deutsche Grammophon label match a studio recording with a live pre-lockdown recital in Bach's home church, St. Thomas's, in Leipzig, Germany. His dreamy and meditative playing may divide critics, but then the Goldbergs often do. Almost everything about the 32 short pieces, modestly published in 1741 as keyboard practice for the double manual harpsichord, is open to debate, save for their heart-piercing beauty and subtlety. Lang's enraptured, trance-like takes will surely convert new devotees to Bach's sublimely coded mystery. Catch a cold, starve a fever, winter deaths. Colds and flus are big killers, especially in winter. With the COVID-19 pandemic in full swing, many epidemiologists are bracing for an especially grim season this year. But new research published in The Lancet Microbe a journal, provides a glimmer of hope. Doctors scouring three years of hospital data on patients with respiratory diseases found that very few people ever have both cold and flu simultaneously. They think they know why. In lab tests, lung tissue previously exposed to the rhinovirus 
the commonest cause of colds, proved impervious to the flu. Rhinovirus triggers interferon, an antiviral protein, which launches an immune response lasting for at least five days. This mutual exclusivity could explain why cases of swine flu during the pandemic of 2009 waned in the autumn, just as the seasonal cold began to circulate. The lab is now testing whether infection with a cold could help avert COVID-19. If so, this winter in the Northern Hemisphere may be less deadly than feared. Bad call. Novak Djokovic breaks away. On court, the men's tennis number one is enjoying a perfect season, having won all 25 of his matches this year. Off it, Novak Djokovic's touch has deserted him. On the eve of the US Open, which continues this weekend, he announced his resignation as president of the ATP Player Council, which represents the sport's top male athletes. He launched a rival, the Professional Tennis Players Association, or PTPA, to campaign for more prize money in a shorter season. It went down as well as a rain delay at Wimbledon. Many senior players, including Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal, see the struggle to continue playing during the pandemic as more important. They are also disappointed by the lack of women in the PTPA. Mr Djokovic's move has complicated talks to merge the ATP and the WTA, which runs women's tennis. Change at the top remains likely, but Mr Djokovic is less likely to be calling the shots. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Jane Adams, who was born September 6th, 1860. Civilization is a method of living, an attitude of equal respect for all men. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app, or by asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you'll have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening. 